Again, we've come to the end of our servants of the Reformation. We had our commitments last week, and we brought up our, our offerings of our time and our talents to the Lord to, to ask Him to bless them and use what we do over the next year uh, for His kingdom and for His glory's sake. And when we think about these things, sometimes we can think about motives, what made us do this. And the guy we're going to talk about today, Frederick the Wise, is asked the same question. Why did Frederick the Wise do what he did? 500 years later, we're asking that. There's, there's two theories. Either he was motivated by political advancement, or he was motivated by compassion for his teacher of the Bible at his university in Wittenberg, and this theological quest uh, that Luther was on for reform. What Frederick did was protect Luther. He protected Luther in, in two ways. First of all, he constantly petitioned for Luther to have a voice, to have a place to actually speak uh, about the reform he desired, about questions on theology and practice and teaching. So th- he protected Luther and gave him a place to speak safely, and he always made sure that Luther had safe passage to those things. The second thing Frederick the Wise did is when those talks fell apart, he offered Luther shelter. He was very uh, proud of his monk and didn't want others to do him harm. And one of the most famous examples of this is after the Diet of Worms in 1521, Luther makes a famous impassioned speech when he's asked to recant of all of his writing and says, no, I can't recant of them all. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. And when he leaves the Diet of Worms, he is officially no longer under the protection of the law. That means any kind of protection that citizens would be granted is now no longer given to him. And Frederick the Wise catches wind that they are plotting to kidnap and kill Luther. So he does what he can only think of, which is plot his own kidnapping of Luther. So he pays some people to kidnap Luther. He tells them not to tell him any details so he can feign complete ignorance. And while Luther leaves the Diet of Worms, he's stolen away, hooded in everything, and brought to the castle of Wartburg, where he'll end up spending the next year plus in hiding uh, while the Reformation continues on for a while without him. It is this time that he uses to translate the New Testament into German so that the common folk could hear it and read the word. And it's in 1522, just a year later, that he comes out of hiding because Karl Stott and some others had taken the Reformation in a very violent and aggressive uh, direction, which uh, he did not approve of. So Luther, who had been Knight George and had been going under the disguise as Knight George, he grew a really awesome beard, and he grew a lot of hair out, and and he came back uh, to his people and, and led them again from there. But again, the motive of Frederick is unclear. And 500 years later, we're probably never going to get more of a clear picture than we already have. But what we do know is Frederick was a man of peace. He was always striving and was quite successful at keeping his region of Saxony out of war. The other thing we know is that he was a master of political stalling. Maybe you know something about that. Maybe you've heard of it before. Uh, he would stall his opponents by just asking them and giving them little questions to think, well, have you thought about this? And he would use that time to get in the right political position for himself and to position himself for success all the time. He was very good at that too. So there's wondering if he was using that, using Luther to put himself in a position of, 
of political uh, success. But we won't know. But what we can do is ask that question of ourselves. Why do we do what we do? At the end of the day, the motive unclear, we do know that Frederick saved Luther's life. There's no doubt about it. But we, every day, make a bunch of decisions, too, that change the direction of our life. Some are big decisions. Frederick made a very big decision to kidnap Luther before the kidnappers could kidnap Luther. And that important decision saved his life, but it was, it was done very quickly. And ourselves, we every day are making many decisions, some small, some big. Some big ones we are smaller than we think, and some small ones are bigger than we think. But all those things are motivated in some way or another. Some we think about, some are almost automatic. And the motives are varied and they're complex. Sometimes we just do things because it's strictly pragmatic. I brush my teeth in the morning because that's what you do. Uh, but other things are more gray and difficult. And, and we can make decisions based on all sorts of things. And, and in the negative, sometimes we make decisions because we want to impress people. We want people to think well of us. Other times we make decisions because we want to impress God. We do these big over-the-top things because we hope God will notice us. Other times we make decisions in order to be recognized or, or validated or for some kind of personal advancement. We maneuver in the right position. But other times, we simply do things because they're the right thing to do. I think I, I can speak for myself. Those times are probably fewer and farther between than I would care to admit. But they're there. And, and we don't weigh the cost and the benefit of a decision. We simply act on the basis of it being the right thing. Micah lays out what God desires for us. He doesn't desire our great sacrifice. And it's interesting because Micah, a prophet of the Old Testament, is saying God doesn't desire the sacrifices of the Old Testament that God commanded you to do. He doesn't want that. And it's interesting because the sacrifices of the Old Testament are there to impress or to make right the relationship between God and man. God doesn't want you to impress him by sacrificing a ram to take your sin so that you are purified. Micah says what God desires is for you to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. It almost sounds like this work righteousness. God wants you to earn his favor. But he's saying the exact opposite. The sacrifices were meant for that. He's saying those he doesn't care about. The reality is Micah in the Old Testament is Showing them that because of Jesus, who Micah doesn't even know, we are already right with God. We have no need to impress him. We are already right with God. And what God wants us to do is live in a manner that others may come to know that truth too. By doing justice, by loving kindness, by walking humbly with God. Those three things are so critical to our life as a Christian. This is what it means to simply bear fruit into the world. Matthew 25, isn't it a little shocking that the sheep have no idea what they've done? I don't know about you, sometimes I do good things and I, I like, want to like make a list of it, put it on a big board, and say, look at what I did. And they're like, when did, when did we feed you? When did, we, when did we clothe you? When did we visit you? Whenever you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. 
Because these are my sons and these are my daughters. These are my children whom I love and created. They don't recognize what they're doing because they're simply doing what's right. They're simply bearing the fruit of faith. If Christ fills us, then we're grafted into the vine, if we can use that metaphor, and we bear fruit. It's simple as that. It simply is who we are. It's not calculated. It's not forced. It is simply being who you were made to be. Being what God has created you to be, sons and daughters of the Most High King. That we don't even think about it, we just do it all the time. That we help, we serve, we protect. We protect those who are in need. Whenever the opportunity arises, and who are those? And sometimes, you know, parents... Parents have a really easy answer. They're like, my children, I need to protect my children because parents are an authority over them. Then you become a grandparent, you just give them sugar. Yes, yeah, some of you are visiting grandparents this weekend, and that's great. Uh, and, and we protect our children, or teachers protect their students, or, and there's so many other people, and we have to think who we're in authority over, and how do we protect those underneath us and care for them with love and compassion and mercy and justice. But sometimes those people aren't so obvious. It's the people who may not have what we have, or may be in difficult situations, and we are given a chance to, to serve them, protect them. Right now, we have an opportunity in the midst of a hurricane tragedy to help other people. In fact, today we're going to take a door offering to help the victims of Hurricane Harvey. And that's something we can do. And I, and I find it interesting this week, during Hurricane Harvey, there was a man, Sergeant uh, Steve Perez, and he's a police officer. And he was going to leave for work. And, and he, his wife said, don't go. He, she said, it's too dangerous out there. And he turned to his wife and he said, we have work to do. We have work to do. So he leaves his home. And later that day, he was swept away and killed in the flood. He knew the people of Houston needed him. And it cost him everything. And we have so many men and women who are police officers and firefighters and EMTs and other uh, first, line, first line responders who, who, are, who go out there to protect people. They don't even know. Every day they live out this call to protect those in need. How do we help and protect and care for those in need? And we're usually good at excuses, right? They don't really need the help. They don't really want the help. Uh, you know, they wouldn't appreciate it. They wouldn't recognize how great I am and what I did for them. There wouldn't be accolades for me, so I'm just not going to do it. Or it could, cost, it could cost me something. I could be hurt physically or emotionally or even my rep- reputation. Wait, you, you help those people, right? Or it could cost me everything. It could cost me my life. And that's too much to bear. Just like it did Sergeant Steve Perez. And every day, every day there are people who lose their life caring and protecting others. That is what we are called to do, to protect. And I wonder how we can live that call out in our community even. I'm humbled when I see you, all of you, uh, in our community actively participating in many different groups uh, that, that seek to protect those in need. I I see you at CCS, and I see you at Faith Mission, and and Feed the Children, and the Boys and Girls Club, and you're on boards, and you're in committees, and you're volunteering, and you're there doing this work. 
Not because you want us to all praise you. Most of the time I'm like, wait, you do what with your spare time? Not because you want our praise and approval. You know it's what you're called to do. And those whose jobs, like police officers and firefighters and EMTs and military personnel and so many more that do this each and every day for the kingdom. Because they can see the sons and daughters of God and say, that person needs me. Do we, brothers and sisters, see the sacrifice of Calvary and then look at our neighbor and say, I'm here for that person right now for a time such as this? And it cost Jesus everything on the cross. It cost him everything. Why would we anticipate or expect anything less? But it goes beyond protecting our neighbors from, from physical uh, attacks or physical ailments. It is also a spiritual reality. Physical, physical dangers are temporary. They come and they go. And what's interesting is God doesn't always protect us from the plights of this world like we think he should. Right, God, why didn't you just not let Hurricane Harvey make landfall? Then none of this would have happened. We ask those questions. God does not always protect us from the plight of this world like we think he should. However, he's always protecting us from the plights of the evil and the attacks of the evil foe from Satan himself who wishes to, to kidnap us for his own use. Uh, Matthew 10, Jesus says, Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can kill the body and the soul. Care more about your soul than you care about your body. Care more about your eternal life than you care about this moment in time that we're living in right now. And, and maybe if we cared more about our spiritual well-being, then we would also think about the spiritual well-being of our neighbors and how important it is to help them. That we would be part of this great uh, kidnapping squad. That we would kidnap men and women for the kingdom of God. We would snatch them by the power of the Spirit out of the hands of the evil one and, and watch them walk into the kingdom, into the family of God through the waters of baptism. What if we cared more about our neighbor's soul than their body? More about their, our neighbor's soul than how annoying they can be. We're called to protect them. And as we sacrifice the things of this world that we have to do just that, it becomes then a witness to the hope we have in an eternal God. And sometimes it's a good reminder for ourselves and sometimes it's just a proclamation to the world. What do we have to sacrifice at the end of the day? Our money and our time. Can you take money with you when you die? The Egyptians tried really hard. We're digging it up now and we use it. Can you, can you take your time with you when you die? These two things are temporal. In eternity, you have no need for money. And in eternity, you have no need for time. Because you don't get, I'll make time for it. You're, it's eternal. <laughs> we are outside the realm of time as we think about it all the time. We, all we have is time and money. And give it. Give it. We need to stop valuing these things as if they're more important than God. All we can give is ourselves, our time, our possessions. Last weekend, you made commitments to the Lord. You brought them up and, and you offered them to God for service. We, we may not know the motivations of Frederick, but we're often aware of our own 
motivation. So why did you bring them up? Why did you offer your time over the next year to serve the kingdom of God? Why? Did you do it out of a sense of duty or obligation? Did you do it in order to maybe be thanked or to be noticed or to be recognized? Did you, did you do it because Pastor Dave has guilted you into it? It's a possibility. I won't judge. <laughs> we all have motivations. But I hope what we can do, no matter the motivation, is that we can have our hearts worked on through service. That it doesn't become something we do one hour a week, every three weeks, or something like that. But it becomes a, a rhythm of our lives. To serve and to protect. To serve and protect the body, the mind, and the soul of our neighbor, of the stranger, of the forgotten, the forsaken, the abandoned. As God has protected us when we were all those things. And he loved us so much that that he sent his son for us. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that a man laid down his life for, our, for his friends. Jesus saw our plight and he poured himself out for us on the cross. He saw humanity unclean. And let us be honest, that's exactly what it is. He saw humanity unclean and filled with sin and he had compassion on them. And he did not offer a ram or a goat or a river of oil. He offered his self, his own body, his own blood. And though we were unclean, he considered none of us unworthy, but chose to protect us, to save us from all evil. God took on flesh and became man for us so that we could be in him and him in us. And then, then through him within us, we get to see what it means to truly be human. We get to see what it looked like before the fall of Adam and Eve to live a life of service, to live for the other, to give what we have been given, life and life eternal. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.